재미와 지식의 오디오라이프 팝빵 We are continuing our discussion on the Arab Spring five years ago, a seminal moment, some people feel, uh, occurring in the Middle East and North Africa, getting some assessment, uh, some analysis, and perhaps addressing some of the concerns uh, that still uh, arose from uh, the Arab Spring. Give us your thoughts. Text us at pound 1013 for 51 or send us a cacao talk message. We're going to be joined by an expert from abroad uh, very shortly, but once again here in the studio, our panelist from Kuwait News Agency, Ibrahim Ahmed. Um, There's some, I suppose, people who will, if you're cynical, will say to a lot of the people in the international community, especially the West, uh, that kind of said, oh, this is going to be this flowering of democracy. I, I suppose that George W. Bush term were spreading liberty all around. Um, there was a sense of some naivete, you believe, in terms of how you saw it. And you've, you've mentioned repeatedly the Tunisian example, but that was the spark, and it was also kind of the uh, first test case where people said, oh, wow, if it happens there, it's going to be duplicated all throughout. And perhaps there was a little bit, uh, I guess, jumping to conclusions, right? Well, yeah, obviously, uh, there is a lot of jumping conclusions here. Uh, but uh, going back to uh, what, what Bush said when they started this uh, whole um, mission of spreading democracy all over the world, uh, he, he made it very, very clear and simple. If, if you are not with us, you are against us. This, yeah. is became, this became famous. And I don't think it is as simple as, as he make it look like uh, or sound like. Um, a lot of people also uh, think that the Tunisian example is an easy one and that the, the democracy there went smoothly, but it is absolutely not easy. Yeah, you know, yeah. uh, as I mentioned uh, earlier, after uh, over 30 years of dictatorship, you can't go easily from dictatorship to, to a democracy. Um, I would just say that um, it's not the Tunisian example that is easy, but it is the other cases that are more complex. Um, I mentioned earlier the, the Syrian example. Um, same thing goes for the Egyptian one with a lot of party involved. Um, it's not an easy case to, to really mm. uh, jump directly to, to uh, conclusions. Let's invite our expert from overseas. Uh, very pleased to have joining us on the line from the University of Dundee uh, International Politics Professor Christian Kalner. Hello. Well, thank you very much for joining us, Professor. Uh, five years on after the Arab Spring, um, foremost on a lot of people's minds, I suppose, especially in the West, would be the emergence of uh, groups like ISIS. Uh, do you feel that people have underestimated how quickly um, groups like ISIS would emerge to sort of uh, take power in that power vacuum and maybe not be adequately prepared for that emergence? Yes, yes. I mean, <clears throat> you can certainly say that um, a lot of international observers have been surprised by the speed at which uh, Daesh has taken over territory, has taken over um, a political space for themselves. And I think a lot of it is a kind of a misunderstanding of um, Middle Eastern politics more generally, where it was assumed that if only you had democratic elections, the people that would take over as kind of young liberals, like the sort of people that would democratize people in Europe, uh, states in Europe. And I think if we look at the political scene in the Middle East, that's just not the case. And of, of course, 
Daesh is not representative of the political scene in the Middle East more generally, but it is the extreme spectrum of the political vectors that do exist in the Middle East. And I think there has been an underestimation of where politics can lead us once we start democratization, because there are some extremes mm. um, that do exist. Okay, thank you for that. We are going to try to reconnect uh, with Professor Connor, uh, try to get a better connection there. But turning back to Ibrahim, and as we say, okay, there was an uprising, some people say a revolution. It did result in uh, former regimes being toppled uh, and then subsequently free elections being held or to a certain extent in countries like Egypt, Tunisia, as we mentioned, uh, Morocco. But we're also seeing that if you have a choice, uh, sometimes the voters will choose entities that maybe the so-called West is not necessarily <laughs> uh, in favor of. I, I just I remember very distinctly in Gaza when when people were sort of taken aback by Hamas uh, sweeping uh, the elections there. But uh, as you mentioned, the Muslim Brotherhood in 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 Egypt, and you mentioned the Islamist-based uh, opposition party in, in Tunisia. Is that really, I mean, sort of, again, we talk about naivete, but is that something that the West has underestimated or just something that they should have known about? But maybe the question that we should ask here, does the West have anything to say about that? Like, yeah. Should they have anything to say about that? Uh, if those parties were elected democratically, then I don't see where the problem uh, where the problem is. Um, this uh parties that we call Islamic often uh, have had a huge success in countries like Algeria, in Egypt, in Jordan, um, in Morocco lately, uh, especially like the Moroccan case, like before the Arab Spring, an Islamic party would never succeed in Morocco. But obviously the authorities and uh, in power in, in Morocco have are trying to avoid uh, a scenario very similar to the Tunisian one or, the, or worse, the Libyan one. So they are trying to give more freedom uh, to parties. And of of course, we are not talking about uh, presidential elections because obviously Morocco is a kingdom, but it's more uh, parliamentary uh, elections that we are talking about in Morocco. Uh, so, yeah, uh, again, uh, if those parties are elected and get, get, get to power in a democratic way, then why not? There is also this, um, I, I suppose, if you look back in history and and you you see how the western powers and post world war 2 essentially artificially drawing the borders in, in in terms of the map of of that region and for the sake of if you believe the premise that these western powers wanted control of the supply of the immense oil in the region uh having uh, preference or support of stability uh, over, let's say, these other concepts like democracy and, and supporting authoritarian regimes there. And then all of a sudden now it's like mm. we love democracy and we want liberty. Yeah. But, oh, hold on, Islamist party, that sounds scary in this uh, yeah. age of the war on terror. You kind of feel like um, if you're not maybe p totally pro-Westernist, what do you guys really want here? Yeah, I think this has a lot to do with all the misunderstanding that is surrounding uh, uh, Islam itself as a religion. Then again, um, also Islam when it comes as uh, a way uh, of ruling the country. Um, I think when you take example like the the, the Tunisian example with uh, the Nahda or uh, the, um, the Egyptian example with uh, the Muslim Brotherhood, and then you compare it, who got 
to power thanks to uh, democratic uh, democratic elections, free elections, and then you compare compare it to ISIS, who got into power in very uh, dramatic way, um, I think it would be easy to choose one of those. You would prefer to have uh, a freely de elected uh, uh, parties than have a situation like, like ISIS. Yeah. And again, if, if we, we, we look deeply into the Iraqi uh, situation as well, um, in Iraq, those Islamic parties and even the Ba'ath Party who was in power uh, at the time of Saddam Hussein were not allowed to be part of the political scene in Iraq after the, uh, the Iraqi war. And uh, this mistake uh, didn't happen in Tunisia, mm. but it happened in Egypt. Now the Muslim Brotherhood is designated as a terrorist group. So is this going to change into a more radical party? Right. Or is it going to continue its, its political uh, fight within uh, a peaceful way? I believe we have uh, Professor Christian Conner on the line once again. Uh, Professor, with all the uprisings and the ensuing instability and, and conflicts in the region, uh, we have to remember it's a very diverse region. And what does it mean for, and you just kind of have this knee-jerk reaction, you think of Islamic parties and you think of Sunnis and, and Shia, but what about the other ethnic and religious minorities there, like the Kurds or the Coptic Christians? Yes, yes, yes. I mean, it, it's a very complex region, that's because as you rightly point out, you do have the Sunni Shia split in the region, but you have many different minorities, such as the Kurds, such as the Yazidis, such as, of course, the various Christian groups. I mean, the picture here is very complex, because unlike what you might think from a Western point of view, that, you know, dictators are bad for minorities. And in other ways, for instance, Coptic Christians, they have felt more protected under the previous dictatorship of Mubarak and also now uh, under Al-Sufi because of the way uh, a lot of people felt they were being threatened under the regime of the Muslim Brotherhood. So you have a very complex relations where on the one hand, of course, one might stick that a pluralistic and more democratic society would be good for minorities and in general that might be the case. And this specific reason also if we look at the situation in Syria, we also have a situation where uh, Assad and his regime have been on the whole more protected of minorities than other types of regime that have been in place. So the third of those dictatorships could actually lead to a situation where minorities find they're being persecuted. So Yeah, certainly uh, complex indeed. Uh, we will have to leave it there. Uh, Professor Conner, thank you so much for joining us and really appreciate your insights. That was thank, you, thank, you. thank you. That was Professor uh, Christian Conner from the University of Dundee. Uh, we do apologize for the uh, phone connection. We're certainly having some uh, technical difficulties there. But maybe uh, throw the question also to Ibrahim. I think, again, people do forget that it affects so many people, but it's so kind of painted with a broad brush, right, when you talk about um, this, I guess, battle against terrorism and you think of the religion of Islam. But this is a very diverse region. There are many people who are living there right now that don't necessarily have any kind of, I guess, uh, 
dog in the fight, as they would say, mm-hmm. right, in terms of this whole idea of war on terrorism that are just simply suffering right now, right? Yeah, that's true. That um, th- This happens within any kind of dictatorship in the world. The, the Arab region is not, it's not just happening in the Arab region. Uh, but as you mentioned earlier, the Kurds definitely were um, not having their political rights the way they wanted them. Uh, but also, uh, then here we have to talk case by case. The, 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 Sy- the Syrian case is not similar to the Egyptian case when we talk about the, uh, the Copts in, in, uh, in Egypt. Uh, but then again, if we really think about it, do we really want to have a political party for every single minority within the country? Mm-hmm. This is probably not going to happen in any uh, kind of democracy. Uh, the only religious uh, parties uh, in, in within the Arab uh, countries are the Muslim, uh, the Islamic parties. Uh, we don't see any other Christian parties, sure. but we, we see uh, parties that are more liberal. Mm. So that those are, go in confrontation with uh, Islamic parties usually. Uh, but here uh, we go back to the Tunisian uh, example uh, that with the quartet uh, dialogue of quartet, uh, the quartet <laughs> dialogue of quartet. They, thanks to them, they actually led the discussion. It's not the political parties that were leading the discussion in Tunisia anymore, but it, it is this quartet that is uh, composed of. Uh, the Tunisian uh, Human Rights League, the um, order of uh, uh, the, the the union trade and the labor trade. Mm-hmm. So here we we see all the parties uh, are included within this dialogue. This is why it was serious. They didn't worry about politics anymore, but they were worrying more about taking the country uh, and transitioning from this di- this dictatorship to uh, a, sm- a smooth democracy. And again, when you have the, I guess, the major factor in this, the U.S. and what uh, support they throw behind and their, I suppose, uh, rhetoric against right now, ISIS and the idea of being want, not wanting to be drawn into this uh, wider holy war here. With the United States, with their, I think we can safely say, their mishandling of the situation in Iraq, and you said the post-reconstruction period, uh, a lot of mistakes were made in terms of uh, whether the Ba'ath would have a voice, what to do with all the dispersed uh, former soldiers of of Saddam Hussein, a formerly minority uh, Sunni population that had control and then reverting to a rule with the coalition of Kurds and Shia and Sunni. Is there a way you feel that the lessons are learned and then the mistakes are kind of pondered and analyzed and and, and there is a sense, okay, well, now we know there is a better way to approach it? Or do you think the mistakes kind of always will continue? Because, again, you point out the Tunisian situation, but it doesn't seem like the Tunisian model is being repeated. I don't think like the, the success, of, at least the success of the Tunisian example, can be repeated in, in Syria right. or, or, or Egypt or Libya. That's for sure. But we see that the same mistakes are repeated again. Um, the game that is played in Syria right now between international powers is very similar to the game that was played during the Cold War in Chechnya or Afghanistan between uh, Russia and the United States. Mm-hmm. Uh, this same uh, game is now played between Iran, the Shia, and all other uh, Sunni parties. That's uh, that proxy battles. Exactly, right? proxy yeah. battle or proxy war. This is actually the worst of the wars ever because 
no matter how hard you fight, you, you never get done with your enemy because as long as they have the money to fund this war. Uh, and this is the case with what's well, happening with uh, Iraq, Saudi Arabia, Qatar. We hear about all those parties that are involved uh, in, in the Syrian case. But now, since all the parties have a saying about what's happening in Syria, what what does the opinion of what do we do with the opinion of the Syrian people themselves? Obviously, they have no saying anymore. This is why at the beginning of uh, our discussion, I was uh, wondering if there is still a revolution to talk about. Mm. What does uh, the, what do the Syrian people think about the, this revolution in the way it is right now? Yeah, and there is such a this I guess you can say a butterfly effect or ripple effect, domino effect that we're seeing. Uh, the refugee crisis has certainly affected the politics. In Europe and how the countries are grappling with that, the Paris terror attacks again, and then the emergence of ISIS and this debate going on in countries like the United States and uh, uh, whether the bombing campaigns should continue. Uh, the more hawkish elements are saying we need boots on the ground there. Uh, the worry that because of the global oil supplies and the huge shock effects it would have on the global economy if things are affected. Uh, as someone who is from the Gulf region and someone who's, who knows this uh, area much better than I do or even the listeners is, how concerned are you right now in the near and midterm future? Very concerned, I would say. Um, obviously, the dictatorships within the region, it's not just Egypt, it's not just Tunisia, it's not just Syria. Uh, I would say just uh, Tunisia was the first uh, country within, in the region uh, that has free, serious and real free democratic uh, elections uh, in the region since maybe handy the year. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So um, I'm afraid this uh, scenario would spread to the other countries because obviously there is nothing stopping it. Maybe now it's on hold because mm -hmm. of what's happening to, 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 to Syria and Libya. But there is big chances that they spread to other uh, countries in the region. Uh, maybe now the authorities and the powers uh, ruling uh, other countries. Even uh, very strong monarchies like Saudi Arabia? And why not? Why not? There was a lot of smaller uh, revolutions uh, in Saudi Arabia, in, in Bahrain, um, in, in many other countries, uh, in Algeria as well. But wasn't strong enough. To, to overcome right. the, the, the dicta dictatorship. Now, with time, no one knows. No one knows what's going to happen, and I'm afraid it's going to be if uh, the, the powers uh, insist on staying in power, uh, like uh, what Assad is doing right now, well, it can only mm. become like another uh, Syria. Well, as you have been uh, eloquently pointing out, it certainly is a period of time where you look back and say, we have a lot of concerns here, and the, certainly the international community, uh, whatever path they decide to take, uh, everyone does have a stake in what happens uh, in that region. We're going to have to leave it there, but uh, we do thank you. really appreciate your time, Ibrahim, and uh, we hope, I know you're a busy man, but we hope you enjoy your holidays. Thank you very thank much. Thank you very much. You too.